Well, good morning. The iconic song Waltzing Matilda is known to nearly every Australian. It's also known and sung around the world, though its meaning, well, that's probably a mystery outside of Australia. I mean, what would people in England or America or even South Africa think when they heard the lyrics? So I thought I'd do a quick hack on what some of the words mean. The word waltzing, that's like wandering. Matilda, well, that's a swag or a bedroll. A swaggy, he's a, a vagrant or a tramp. The billy, now that's a little tin can that's used for making tea. A jumbuck, that's a sheep. A billabong, well, that's a watering hole. A tucker bag, food hamper. A squatter, that's a rancher or a farmer or pastoralist. And troopers, well, they're mounted police. But to make full sense of the song, you need to know the historical context. When Andrew Barton, Banjo Patterson wrote the song in the 1890s, Australia was in the grip of a major economic depression. It led to the Shearer strike of 1894, which pitted ordinary working men against wealthy pastoralists over paying conditions. So Walsing Matilda is a protest song about workers versus bosses, the Australian value of freedom, and it's about the value of sheep. It's been said for generations that Australia rides on the sheep's back. That is, for much of Australia's history, the national economy depended on wool production. A single flock of sheep in Outback Australia can number in the tens of thousands. So the swaggy in the song, well, he probably thought one sheep wouldn't be missed. But the squatter noticed and sent the police troopers to get it back. It's not that he loved his sheep. They were just livestock to be grazed. That sheep equals money. Banjo Patterson was highlighting both the plight and desperate times of shearers and the lack of generosity or care for shearers by the pastoralists at the time. But back in Jesus' day, the role of shepherds and sheep was very different. In the Middle East, a shepherd cares for flocks of 20 to 50, maybe 100 sheep. He can identify them all and they all know his voice and follow him. And to him, they're more like pets than livestock. Well, here's a fun fact. Sheep are mentioned over 500 times in the Bible. The earliest reference is of Abel's flocks in Genesis 4. Now, why is that? I reckon it's because sheep were central to Hebrew life and their nature and habits were widely known. Therefore, using sheep to illustrate stories just made sense. Jesus also used sheep as a metaphor for God's people and good shepherd to describe himself. You know, this is yet another example of how Jesus turns the views of society upside down. Because shepherds were considered lower class workers, not a profession people would aspire to. Yet Jesus says he is the good shepherd. Like saying today that you're a great rubbish collector. In describing himself this way, Jesus both humbles himself and exalts the role of an ordinary shepherd. So let's look at a word portrait of Jesus found in John's Gospel, one Jesus paints of himself. 
And I'm reading from John chapter 10, verses 11 to 16. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. So the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's only working for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me, just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. In biblical times, people knew all about bad shepherds, you know, about unrighteous leaders. God regularly sent prophets to berate the kings of Israel for being more interested in caring for themselves than God's people. So what was Jesus announcing when he referred to himself as the good shepherd? Well, firstly, that he loves his sheep even unto death. In John 10, 11, we read, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd who sacrifices his life for the sheep. A person hired to watch a flock might abandon them if his life was threatened by a wolf. He has no investment in the flock beyond the wages he received. But a good shepherd is invested in the flock and he is prepared and willing to fight to defend his sheep and even risk his own death. In this story, Jesus was announcing that his purpose was a sacrificial one. He was alluding, of course, to the cross and he is invested in the sheep. He loves them and he would give his life for them. For us, this means that at the cross, Jesus died to defend us against the ravages of human sin. Sin has a price and Jesus paid that price for all humanity, past, present and future. This is the good news about the Good Shepherd. And he didn't wait for us to be good enough to deserve this love. He loved us first. As it says in the letter to the church at Rome, God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Well, second, when he referred to himself as the Good Shepherd, Jesus was announcing that he cares for his sheep. The good shepherd knows and cares for each one. In verses 14 and 15, we read, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me, just as my heavenly father knows me and I know the father. Now, here's a worthy fact. Jesus knows you completely. There may be times when we are a mystery to ourselves, but we are never a mystery to him. He knows our temperament, our moods, what lifts us up, what gets us down. He knows our thoughts and intentions, and he knows our attitudes towards him. And yet he loves us. There is nothing you could ever tell Jesus about yourself that he does not already know. The good shepherd knows what you need, and when you need it. I mean, how is that even possible? 
Well, the answer is found in a letter to the early church from the Apostle Paul. In Colossians 1, 15 to 20, we read, Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ and through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Jesus is not distant from us, but is present. He is called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And even more, he is for us. He knows us personally as only a creator God can. And it's from that knowing that the good shepherd cares for us. Well, thirdly, when he referred to himself as the good shepherd, Jesus was announcing that sheep recognize the voice of the good shepherd and follow. In verse 16, he said, my sheep will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. The sheep respond to the voice they know and trust and no other. They are deaf to any other master than their own. And I wondered how Jesus, a carpenter, would know about this aspect of shepherding and sheep. Well, I found a clip on the internet that you'll find interesting. Let's have a look at it. One more time.
How amazing is that? It's God's intention for us to hear the voice of Jesus and to follow him only. He is the good shepherd. We follow one voice to become one people, his church. Well, this leads to the visual portrait of Jesus we've chosen for this week. It's not a picture of sheep, but shows the loving and caring heart of Jesus. It's titled, Let the Children Come to Me, and it was painted in 1884 by Fritz von Uder, a German Impressionist known for his realism, especially when depicting Jesus, who he often set amongst ordinary people. The painting reflects the story of Jesus as told in the Gospel of Luke, and it goes like this. Jesus called for the children and said to the disciples, let the children come to me, don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. That's from Luke 18. You see, in Jesus' day, and sadly in many places in the world today, children have little or no value in society, and they were often prevented from participation and learning. Jesus reprioritized children and drew a parallel between their innocent faith and the kind of simple faith needed to enter the kingdom of God. I love how Uda depicts the priorities and capacities of Jesus. Jesus allowing all the children to approach. Jesus comforting one child on his lap and yet extending a loving hand to another. Jesus giving children priority of place. Don't miss this point. Jesus considered all humanity to be his children. We are all children of God. We are his first priority in all creation. We have his love and his protection. We have his care and his concern. We are his sheep and he is the good shepherd. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your total care of us. We thank you that your relationship with us is personal and intimate. We're not just people to do things, but we're people to be loved. And we thank you that you love us deeply and personally and that you paid a price for us at the cross. Thank you for bringing that reconciliation to us and overcoming the barriers that our sin created and providing a way for us to relate to you openly and to have a pathway to heaven. We thank you, Jesus, for the nature that you have as a good shepherd, that you see uh, things in people that are worthy, things in children that are important, and that you combine that together and wrap that all up in your love and placing that within your church, within your people, Jesus, help us to listen to your voice. Help us to be one united people. Help us to be your church so that we may achieve the purposes that you have for your church in the world. And we pray this in your name, your name as the Good Shepherd. Amen.